Hey guys, as a quick introduction to what you're about to watch and or listen to, uh, this is the second part of what I recorded with Alec Shaves. Alec is a PhD student, or candidate I should say, in bioenergetics, so metabolism essentially. So this is the second part. We essentially spend 45 to an hour uh, dissecting a particular paper looking at caffeine's impact on muscle growth. So if you want to uh, chime in and check out the paper with us as we go figure by figure, then I will have that linked on the podcast as well as on YouTube. Okay, without further ado, oh, and if you haven't checked out the first part, that was on the ketogenic diet and lifting performance, so check that out as well. Okay, let's jump into it. With that said, let's jump into how caffeine has an impact on muscle growth. Uh, this is an involved paper, mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, this is definitely one of those papers that, well, I've got a lot of minor issues with it, but uh, it, does, it does have some strengths that I really appreciate. So the name of the paper, and if you'd like to access it on Instagram, you can check it out. Uh, it's in my description box. You can go to the referenced, mentioned reference something. You'll figure it out. It's the green button. Uh, and on YouTube, I've got it linked here in the chat, so you guys can go through and uh, go through the paper with us, as well as I've got a guide there to help figure out each of the figures, or read each one of the figures. So the paper is called The Effect of Caffeine on Skeletal Muscle Anabolic Signaling and Hypertrophy. So they essentially wanted to find out what happens when you consume caffeine and its impact on muscle growth. Do you see increases in muscle growth? Do you see decreases in muscle growth? Their hypothesis was that you see decreases in muscle growth. Mm -hmm. So we will find that out with them. Dun, so dun, dun. with that said, let's jump into the methods a little bit. Uh, the methods, I'm gonna rattle off a few things. You jump in if you have anything you wanna add. Kay. They looked at C2, C12 cells. What are C2, C12 cells? Do you wanna mention that real quick? Yes, so C2, C12s, um, they're a standard cell line that's used for a lot of muscle biology research. Um, they're, a, they're technically derived from mice muscle cells uh, that have become immortalized. And what that means is that um, they've pretty much um, continue to replicate and divide until at which point they're differentiated to fuse and become full similar to like muscle fibers um, and those are what you typically use to analyze and use as a model to look at um, uh, skeletal muscle in an in vitro or petri dish setting yeah exactly so they're essentially in really simple terms uh, muscle cells mm -hmm. Uh, very particular muscle cells. I actually used them uh, in my undergrad stuff, doing some microscopy work. Then the next thing that they looked at were mice. So actually, they looked at rodents in general. So they looked at mice, and then they also looked at uh, rats. So they've got two different models for that, and three models in, in total. So cells, mice, mm -hmm. rats. And specifically, they had for the mice, they had wild-type mice, which are considered essentially normal mice. They have no alterations to them. And then they have what's called an LKB1 knockout mice. So it's a muscle specific. 
Okay, let me, let me deconstruct that a little bit because uh, knockout does not mean Mike Tyson. We're talking, uh, <laughs> we're talking mice that have a particular gene or molecule eliminated from it. So that, and it's specific to a tissue. This tissue, it could be kidney, it could be the brain, it could be anything. Sometimes when you knock out a molecule, it leads to catastrophic results and that mouse can't even be born. This is a muscle specific, so it's a knockout of this molecule, LKB1, which I will go into once we get to that figure in terms of what it does, but they looked at this knockout model for these particular uh, mice. And then they used electrical stimulation to induce contractions in mice. They did not do that for rats, which actually in the guide, I think I've got that wrong. Uh, in, for rats, they used, they cut the tendon of particular muscles that help support another muscle in the leg. And what that does is it allows that particular muscle, because it's not being assisted anymore by the other muscles, it allows it to grow because it has to do all the work. It goes from doing 20% of the work or 40% of the work to literally all the work completely. So that's, that's how they're able to determine hypertrophy or cause hypertrophy through two different methods, which is cool. The fact that they used electrical stimulation, which is actually something I guess you've got, I don't, I guess you don't have experience in that directly, but uh, Sung Kyung did some electrical stimulation, didn't he? Yeah, so we do, um, I mean, we still do electrical stimulation. Um, you for, bring the mic closer. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, so we still do electrical stimulation um, in our cell work. Um, so this is specific to mm. tissue actually putting muscles on force transducers and pretty much watching them, you know, twitch and, um, and, and testing the different parameters of like maximal force, titanic force and things like that. Um, but with our stuff, we use it in cells and we more do it as a model of like in vitro exercise. Um, so if we start getting these muscle cells to contract, what adaptations do they make? And, and, and that's really our main outcome measures. Um, whereas some of the mouse people who actually use these or use electrical stimulation actually want to see how the muscle performs when you give it that stimulus so you know if they're given a certain frequency how much force can they produce how fast can they produce it how long can they produce before they fatigue and things like that okay yeah that's a really good explanation uh, so and they use this electrical stimulation for six sets of ten so think of if you really want to make it equivalent although it's really not uh, six sets like you would in, in the gym, six sets of 10 repetitions. Mm -hmm. So 10 uh, stimulations, then they had one minute rest between each uh, set of 10, rep, uh, 10 stimulations. Mm -hmm. uh, they removed a, a number of different muscles. I'm not gonna go into each one. They're all in the leg of the, the rodent, the tibialis anterior, EDL, gastroc, things of that nature. So all of those are going to play a factor in kind of the last few figures. So we're not gonna go into that too much. Anything you want to add that I've missed? Um, so just to, just kind of just to distinguish the um, electrical stimulation model and yeah. the synergist 
um, like ablation model um, a little bit more. So the stimulation is an acute bout. So it's pretty much looking at what effect does caffeine have on your response to an acute bout of exercise, to an acute resistance training bout. Whereas the synergist uh, where you're in, in which you're pretty much ablating um, a specific muscle to overload another muscle, um, that's done over a longer period of time. So it's more looking at the effect of a chronic training routine or what effect caffeine has on a chronic training effect versus the electrostimulation, which is more of an acute effect. Yeah, that's, that's actually a really important distinction, so thanks for bringing that up. Okay, so let's jump into the results. Uh, if you're following along with us, you may not be whatsoever, but uh, if you are, uh, then we're going to go into figure one. So we're going to try and explain some of the basic stuff of what you're looking at. Uh, we're not going to go like a bar graph or like a little bar by bar, but just kind of overall insight. So figure one is in C2, C12 cells. So those are muscle cells. And you are literally looking at cells in a dish. You're not looking at cells on the actual muscle itself. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are detached, if you want to put it that way, and they're just on a dish. And then they, they're measuring the quantity of a particular molecule. So mm -hmm. they're looking at, let's see here, uh, five different molecules. And two of them are really important, and I've got them in the guide. I've got all five of them in the guide, what they do. But uh, the, the first two, AMPK and AKT, AMPK, uh, this paper is essentially looking at muscle promoting molecules and muscle inhibiting or muscle growth inhibiting molecules. AMPK, and you know, jump in if you have a different interpretation of this, but uh, AMPK would be considered in this context a muscle inhibiting molecule, and mTOR would be considered a muscle promoting molecule. Um, so, so kind of yes and no. Um, okay. It's more of uh, the context you're looking at. Mm -hmm. um, so AMPK is kind of you need you need both in order to have optimal muscle health. Mm -hmm. um, AMPK is a is 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 stimulates a protein and its activity is stimulated in low energy states. So in during exercise or during something like caloric restriction or starvation, AMPK is highly highly active. Um, and what it helps to do is it helps to promote things like. Um, autophagy or pretty much cleaning up dead debris in the cell um, to making sure it's running optimally and also increase our ability to both take in and also metabolize nutrients which is, a, which is an important distinction but what it does is because when we're in a low energy state we can't we don't want to be growing is it inhibits a lot of the things that help cells proliferate divide and hypertrophy and grow um, so a lot of the times AMPK is considered like an antagonist to muscle growth um, but really it's just context-based. So you can't really be growing when AMPK is active because the overall state of the cell doesn't promote growth or shouldn't promote growth. Um, whereas mTOR, on the other hand, is active um, when you give people things like amino acids or insulin or high energy states. So it's, it's, it's active during those periods of times. Um, and, and based on that context, you want the cell to grow. You want it to be able um, to hypertrophy. Um, so again, it's just, it's just a matter of, of mixing the two and making sure you get an optimal balance of both. Um, because you need like that cleanup and autophagy phase of the cell, or of uh, time, but you also need the time to grow and divide and replicate so that you're not just withering away. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's, it's extremely well uh, put because and that's a big reason why having somebody in bioenergetics is, is a great person to have on this podcast because then uh, you get some of those nuances because, again, context really matters. Uh, AKT, do you want to touch on that? I, I wrote down that AKT essentially inhibits AMPK in this situation and that it promotes mTOR. But, of course, again, that's incredibly simplistic. Um, so in terms of where... I, I, I'm not entirely sure where AKT can feed into um, AMPK or, or inhibiting. It, it doesn't. So it, it acts on another molecule, which then acts on AMPK or inhibits AMPK. Okay, so, so it's, not, can, it's not a direct effect as okay. far as I understand. Um, so, but, but pretty much what AKT is, um, it's, it's a weird name. So it actually, the, the true name is protein kinase B, um, but that's, that's, another, that's another point. Um, so AKT is classically known as being part of the insulin signaling cascade. So when your body releases insulin, um, after a meal, for example, insulin binds to receptors on various tissues and it stimulates a series of events in the cell. Um, and one of these events is to trigger the activation or phosphorylation of AKT. Um, and what that does is, is um, promotes a series of downstream effects um, to overall promote the cell to grow and divide. So it's, it's um, so AKT is known as a mitogen. It means it's supposed to promote growth. So um, it's supposed to promote cell division and growth. That's, that's essentially what I'm trying to get at there. Yeah, right. so many words. <laughs> <laughs> that's all good. Uh, okay, so now we've got a little bit of background on those two. And the, I'm just going to summarize the other three. They are down, mTOR, if you think of that as a muscle promoting molecule, a master molecule, that's what it's often referred to as uh, these three molecules, uh, S6K, S6 kinase, S6, and four eukaryotic binding protein, four EBP1. Those are downstream molecules of mTOR. So mTOR is going to have an impact on those and then their activation or deactivation then has an impact on our uh, genetic code, but more specifically on the ribosomes that uh, essentially attach to uh, RNA and then translate that to uh, proteins mm -hmm. or polypeptide chains and so on and so forth. We'll just say proteins though yeah. for, for simplicity's sake. So let's jump into this. So figure 1A, they sh what they're doing is on the x-axis, the bottom line where all the graphs are coming from, they're showing different concentrations of caffeine. So they've applied caffeine to each one of these cells, uh, to each one of these cell like plates, wells, and as well as insulin. So the insulin is, is depicted by the dark gray or the gray bars and the no insulin, of course, uh, and just the caffeine is depicted by the white bars. And then they show the quantity of AMPK, which Alec uh, just went over. So do you want to say anything about that? Like, do you, do you think that caffeine has an impact, has an effect here? Uh, it doesn't seem to. Um, based on, I mean, based on the statistics, it does not seem to. Um, and it's tough, again, because caffeine's effect on AMPK is so indirect um, based on the upstream thing that it's activating. Um, I, I, didn't ex I wouldn't expect this to happen. I wouldn't expect for caffeine to have an effect on um, phospho-AMPK. And I think the story 
from caffeine to AMPK to mTOR and growth signaling is, is slightly disconnected. And I think this graph kind of shows that, that if caffeine is going to be having any effect, it's not going to be through AMPK. Yes, right. Uh, but then do you make anything of, so there at 0 0.075 millimolar of caffeine addition, they see what, 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 how would you interpret that? They see a p-value of 0.13. So that's a trend towards significance. It's with not insulin, not with, with caffeine in this situation. Yes, yeah, so what they're showing is that with, um, is that uh, the caffeine that you add is able to overcome the blunting effect of insulin and phospho-AMPK, and it's able to promote an increase, potentially promote an increase in um, phospho-AMPK, which really is just a surrogate measure for activation. It's just showing that it, when, when pho the phosphorylation event that happens on, on this molecule, when it goes up, that means more of this molecule is active and ready to do its thing. Um, so what this is showing is that um, there's that caffeine, if, if given alongside insulin, is able to overcome the inhibitory effect that insulin has on AMPK. Yeah, right. And but oddly enough, uh, and that effect seems to start at 0 0.075 millimolar. Yeah. I guess it continues on from there, but they don't. They just show that there's a trend towards significance in the one. And I wouldn't even necessarily consider that. Like I don't know. It's 0.13. Like I don't. I when I see that, I'm like, yeah, that's just not good enough. I, yeah. I don't. In terms of when when we're looking at these Western blots, these very semi-quantitative measures, I, I didn't give that a second glance. I. I saw that there's no significance there. Yeah. If, if again, if caffeine's having any effect, it's not through AMPK. Yeah. Uh, so then B in figure one uh, B, they're looking at AKT levels. So the amount of the molecule AKT, and Alec explained that as well. And really, I, I, I want to simplify this as much as I possibly can. Even though there's some nuance there that we're definitely missing because it really depends on where and in what context you're talking about any of these molecules, like Alec explained. Like, in exercise, AMPK has a profound impact that you absolutely want to have. AKT, the same thing with glucose regulation, insulin, blah, blah, blah. But in this situation, just think of insulin as, uh, or think of AKT, rather, ha having uh, an impact at kind of more muscle promotion, growth, splitting more of the muscle, uh, as opposed to AMPK, if that's more active or more, there's more of it, then you see decreases in muscle. It's definitely not that simple, but yeah. that's just where I'm going to leave it for, the, for that. So AKT, uh, here you see that with the addition of caffeine uh, at varying concentrations, and these are physiological, I f from, from what I remember, these are physiological concentrations of caffeine, no effect. I mean, it does not seem to have any sort of impact whatsoever, but what you do, do find is that with the addition of insulin, and this goes exactly to what Alec was talking about, AKT having a profound uh, upregulation with the introduction of insulin, uh, that's exactly what you end up finding. You see far, far more AKT increase uh, with the addition of insulin. Anything you want to add there? No, no. I think that's um, that's pretty much it. Is that caffeine? Um, the, the big thing here is when caffeine is given alongside the insulin, it has zero effect on the insulin signaling cascade. 
Just, just like turn your chair okay. just a little bit. Yeah, there you go. You're good. All right. Sorry. No, you're good. I just, you know, you. I know. I know. Sorry. I know. Um, so yeah. So the big thing is that when you're good, you're good. You're good. Um, so that when you give caffeine, it seems to have no effect on the insulin signaling cascade. It does not. So it doesn't seem to interfere with this insulin or this growth signaling cascade um, when given alongside insulin. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then. I'm going to, I guess I'll lump these three together because they're so closely related. Mm -hmm. um, but with caffeine addition, you don't see any effects on C, D, or E. With varying levels of caffeine, it doesn't seem to have any sort of impact. But insulin, again, does seem to have an impact in terms of increasing the amount of phosphorylated S6K and S6 and 4-EBP1. Well, 4-EBP1, not as much, but definitely for S6 and S6K. So that indicates kind of downstream of mTOR that you're starting to see increases in this kind of muscle protein synthetic pathway. But interestingly enough, you don't see that with 4-EBP1. Uh, kind of see some divergent results there. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I, you do, but I think... I think the block quality has a lot to do with that um, <laughs> yeah. because pretty much every one of their mothers can show that that goes up with um, uh, when you give someone insulin or when you activate mTOR. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know if that's it. But again, the biggest thing being is that you don't see a difference with caffeine. Yeah. Um, so really, you know, that one is questionable. Uh, but it's more this again pointing out to caffeine is having no effect on. Um, changing the trend that you're going to see when you throw on insulin. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way, good, good summary. Uh, yeah, there's not much there. I mean, when it comes to caffeine and pretty much every figure, caffeine seems to have no impact mm -hmm. on any of these molecules. But again, these are just in cells, and we're still going to continue with cells in figure two. So figure two, I uh, hear they're looking at, again, different caffeine concentrations. Uh, for the first figure, figure 2A, uh, they're looking at physiological caffeine amounts. So I've mentioned in the guide that that's essentially a caffeine concentration that would be normally taken in. Like you could, you could take that and you would find that in the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. But um, figure 2B looks at non-physiological. So with physiological caffeine concentrations, you essentially see no changes in uh, the, what was that, the, the measure of protein so myosin specifically right yeah so this is so in uh, um, if we're going through these figures here yeah. um, it's all about so the first one is myosin heavy chain so it's looking at um, so myosin heavy chain is the muscles contractile protein um, so it pretty much is one of the it's the motor that allows us to actually contract and shorten our muscle now it only appears when you take, so you start out with these myoblasts that are essentially um, proliferating, growing muscle cells, right, that start as satellite cells. And when they're ready to then fuse and become full muscle fibers, that's when they start expressing this contractile protein. Because what they're essentially saying is, I'm here to stay. I'm here to stay, and now I can contribute to the force that the muscle wants to produce. Right. Um, so you're going to see myosin heavy chain come out, and, and they talk about it here. So when you're, when you're growing up muscle cells, you have to differentiate. You have to allow them to fuse for, about, for a period of about seven days to allow them to start producing this myosin heavy chain. Um, 
And what they're showing here pretty much is that with these physiological doses is that caffeine is, or incubating cells with caffeine has no effect on their ability to differentiate to full muscle fibers. Um, and then in figure B, as you start going more into the super physiological range, that's when you start seeing that effect happen. So that's when you start seeing caffeine being able to inhibit or block or reduce the amount of these muscle cells that can differentiate into full fibers. Um, and, and just to kind of bring up in a, a nice distinction here, so this paper is all about muscle hypertrophy. Um, and it's, I think it's important to touch on maybe some of the mechanisms through which muscles grow. So obviously we, when we were talking about like mTOR and things, like that's actually talking about the increasing the amount of protein that a single muscle fiber has. Uh, but actually when we go through exercise training programs, um, what, what our muscles have is their own stem cell pool that can migrate and attach onto existing muscle fibers to actually contribute to their overall size. Um, so that's another mechanism of hypertrophy. And by looking at myoblasts, you're pretty much doing exactly that. You're looking at cells that, were, that start out as satellite cells, became myoblasts, proliferated, and then fused, which they would typically do in a normal, on a normal muscle cell, um, to then contribute to the overall size and growth and force production of that muscle. And what this is showing is that caffeine is having zero effect, or physiological concentrations of caffeine is having zero effect on the myoblast's ability to do that. Right. And if you, uh, so then looking at 2B, you're essentially doing the exact same thing, but uh, you are looking at non-physiological, mm -hmm. so super physiological. Yep. In this case, you're not looking at incredibly low levels, you're looking at unbelievably high levels of caffeine, which does seem to have an impact once you get up to 1.25 or 2.5 millimolar, then that does seem to uh, decrease myotubes, then differentiating into myocytes from, from that point on. Uh, C is slightly different because uh, here they're again looking at non-physiological levels, but they're looking at the actual, uh, not the differentiation, but the mitosis, the- uh, Proliferation. Proliferation, yep. the actual a splitting of the cells to create more cells, yeah. kind of in a, in a manner of speaking. So here they find that they're, they're using a variety of different concentrations, physiological for the first uh, four, and then a super physiological for the last one. And well, unsurprisingly, they find that the super physiological one is the one that decreases this uh, proliferation. Yep. Okay, well, let's move on to figure three then. So figure three, and we're starting to actually move away from uh, cells, we're actually looking at our first rodent models. And here they, this was complicated to explain in the guide, uh, but here essentially they're looking at mice, and here I'm going to discuss what LK, LKB1 does it activates AMPK? Nice. <laughs> okay, so I'm just gonna leave it at that. Uh, LKB1 activates AMPK, uh, which we talked about earlier. AMPK in this context, incredibly simplified, would then reduce muscle protein synthesis or would reduce muscle promotion. Uh, so here they used a knockout of LKB1. 
So they're essentially getting rid of that molecule. So now it's no longer activating AMPK. And then because you don't have the activation of AMPK through that one pathway, because it could be activated by other things, uh, through that one pathway, then that means that you're going to see uh, less of an inhibition of muscle growth. Kind of, that's the general gist of, of what's going on. So here they injected either saline as a control or they injected caffeine. And then on top of that, they either let the mice rest, the muscles of the mice rest, or they electrically stimulated them, which if you go back to the methods section uh, where we talked about that, Alec had a really good explanation of, of what that, that meant. So again, the six sets of 10 repetitions of yep. stimulation of, those mus of that musculature. So looking at this, did you, did you see anything that caught your eye for A, for, for figure 3A? Um, no, I, other than showing that they did exactly what they said they were going to do. Right. Um, which is, so they didn't, um, they didn't actually provide a blot showing that they knocked out LKB1. Right. But what they did provide is a good way of saying, all right, well, we knocked out LKB1. How do we know? Because in either case, um, the knockout did not see any increase in phospho AMPK, despite the fact that they were given caffeine and and electrical stimulation, yeah. which are caffeine not so much, but stimulation should be a potent stimulus for, for inducing phosphorylation of AMPK. And the fact that they showed no difference or no increase indicates that there was no upstream signal for AMPK to become phosphorylated, yeah. indicating that LKB1 was sufficiently knocked out. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, and then the, the other thing, if you look at the, at the wild type, the WT zero hour. So the reason why they've got zero hour and eight hour, I guess I should go over that too. Yeah. Uh, zero hour is they stimulated and then they immediately took out the muscles from the mice. Uh, eight hour is where they waited eight hours and then removed the muscles afterwards. And what you find is with the wild type, uh, which is the mice that have no alterations, they're just completely normal, they're just being injected with caffeine or saline, and then they're being stimulated or not stimulated. You see that with stimulation, you see an increase in AMPK levels, uh, which goes to kind of that nuance that Alec was talking about, that with exercise, AMPK plays an important role. So you see this increase uh, in, with stimulation, but not necessarily a significant increase between the two conditions with caffeine, uh, mainly because the error bars are really large. Yes. That's probably why. Um, and then in terms of the knockouts, you see, as you mentioned, you essentially see a knockout. So of course you don't see AMPK levels increase because, well, why would they? Mm -hmm. And then with the wild type after eight hours, you don't see AMPK elevated, yep. at least relative to the other conditions. And then again, you see the exact same thing eight hours later with the knockout. In that condition, then there's just no increase in AMPK either. So really the only increase in AMPK is with stimulation if you have LKB1. Yep. That's the conclusion we can make from this. Uh, then B, do you want to jump on that one? Oh, oh, well, actually, you say something. I've got something to say about this. This, this one, this, this particular graph, made me angry. Alrighty, and you won't. Would they like you when you're angry? 
<laughs> no. Okay. They will not. Like All right. Um, so this is looking at, so first one, so A, we was talking about phospho-A and PK. Next one is looking at um, phospho-AKT. Now, the interesting thing with this. Look at the, the, the mic again. Just like hold up the, the, the uh, paper. There you go. <laughs> You'll have to excuse my friend. He's a little slow. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, so looking at phospho AKT um, in the exact same situ in the exact same context as you looked at phospho AMPK. Um, so wild type knockout um, and then eight hour uh, for both the wild type and knockout given either rest stimulation or caffeine concomitant with rest or stimulation. Now, because phospho AKT is an insulin sensitive protein. Um, they did not use insulin in any way, shape, or form, so we have no idea like if um, any of these treatments are influencing the insulin signaling cascade or the insulin responsiveness of phospho-AKT. Um, but what you're seeing here, though, just kind of going through the asterisks and where they're finding significance, um, is apparently uh, is that with stimulation you're seeing increase in phospho-AKT um, and the same thing with caffeine plus stimulation and you pretty much see that all throughout so that when you look at the wild type, the knockout um, and then following eight hours um, you're able to see an increase in phospho-AKT with specifically the stimulation or the caffeine plus stimulation. Yeah, that's, uh, that's really well put. Um, and then I had a massive issue with their wild type at zero hour. I, I, I would, I'm genuinely, I'd like to know how that would it's be significant, considered significant yeah. relative to the saline at rest when they are like, I don't know how two bars can be any more identical with one another. But in this situation, yeah. they absolutely are. But hey, just throw some asterisks on there, and, uh, and we're be good to go. Yeah, yeah. We are good to go. <laughs> I was absolutely shocked uh, when I, yeah. I, I I saw that. I, I I wouldn't believe that if you paid me. Well, maybe if you paid me like ten million dollars, then maybe. But yeah, I, I didn't believe that for a second. Yeah, I really, I really, honestly don't know. And and the other thing, I'm assuming it's the same site, um, the same like specific part of AKT that's being phosphorylated. They don't mention it in here. Um, you still? just like hold it. Just like literally right. just hold it. Like. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. You're good. Um, so yeah, so it would have been nice if they actually told us what phosphorylation is like because that seems to matter. Um, and the other thing too is just what's happening to insulin or what happens with insulin. And the reason I bring that up is because uh, and, and this is I'll go off on a little tangent here, so I apologize. Um, so with a lot of the stuff I do, I focus on diabetes research, insulin resistance, um, and one of the most potent ways or potent stimuli that we can do to our bodies that improve our insulin sensitivity is exercise. Um, and caffeine is commonly used as like an exercise mimetic or an exercise pill, mainly because some of its effects on the cell are similar to what happens with exercise. Yeah. So I would have loved to see here them show something that said, all right, you know, we gave these people stimulation, we gave them caffeine plus stimulation, eight hours later we treated them with insulin, and what was the effect? Did we see any potential increase um, 
in phospho AKT? Did they see like a potentiating effect that, that caffeine or caffeine plus stimulation had on phospho AKT when they were given insulin in the hours following? I think that would have been interesting. Because right now there's really no way, um, I, there's really no conclusion to draw from this. Mainly because you're not giving them a growth stimulus. Like you're not giving them something that would tell phospho AMPK to turn on. I see what you mean, yeah. Now, there is something to say, but it does, what they're showing here is that despite that, there does seem to be an increased sensitivity that these growth signaling pathways have. Despite the fact they're giving them nothing, right, which I'm assuming because they don't talk about food intake and what they allow them to have in that eight hour period. Yeah. Um, but whatever, their, whatever energy is available, um, the insulin signaling cascader, or phosphate KT specifically, uh, is more sensitive um, to whatever the situation is. So it's more sensitive um, or it's more active regardless of what's going on around it, if that makes any sense. Hopefully. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, again, another point, just like in the other paper, something I didn't, I didn't consider at all. Yeah. So, and the other thing too to point out as well is that this isn't dependent at all on LKB1. Yeah, so you're seeing right. the exact same trend um, maybe actually, sorry, even a higher, sorry, that's, that's, that might be a little bit of a lie there, um, looking at it because the knockout eight hour is higher than the wild type yeah, eight hour. The, the overall effect is much higher, but mm -hmm. in terms of the, the actual uh, trend or you know, the, the pattern that you're seeing, it's the same yeah, so between, what's specific? between yeah. conditions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna skip C because uh, it's a Western blot and- Yeah, it's just showing just the exact same thing. Yep. Interpreting that is, well, unnecessary. Um, the next one is figure four. So figure four, here they're looking at uh, protein synthesis machinery or molecules. And I've, I've already gone over the first three, the S6K, the 4-EBP1 and the S6. And here again, they're just going through the stimulation with the saline and caffeine injection or at rest. And, uh, and then of course, they've got that, that LKB1 knockout again. And then E, they've got this, um, the amount of form protein through the incorporation of a molecule known as pyromycin. Um, is that how you would, you would interpret? That, that, that is what pyromycin does. I've never used it, so I don't know. So say, um, so say that one more time. Again. My understanding is that pyromycin is incorporated in protein in the formation of the actual protein, uh, so that you can actually quantify the amount of protein that's being synthesized. Yes, that's okay. exactly it. Yep. Okay. So uh, a, you see slight increases, right, in, with in the wild type uh, with stimulation, but independent of caffeine. Mm -hmm. Caffeine seems to have no impact. Uh, the exact same thing, actually it, that's the case for all of them. You just see greater effects with the uh, eight hour condition. Yep. You see increases in S6 kinase. And roughly the same is true of 4-EBP1, except uh, you, don't see as you don't see a robust increase with the uh, stimulation after eight hours. It's roughly the same as you do when you collect the muscles immediately. Um, yeah, a anything to add to either one of those two? Nope, nope. Again, okay. big thing being is that caffeine's not inhibiting this at all. Yeah. It's not reducing um, what, what you're seeing and what's going on. Right, so C, 
is S6. Here we see some differences, right? We see some uh, interesting differences. So here you're seeing the, the Jesus cross for uh, the wild time. Hallelujah! <laughs> for the wild time zero hour because uh, you're seeing differences between the uh, caffeine stimulation, so the caffeine injection plus stimulation compared to the saline, so the control, no caffeine, and stimulation. So suddenly caffeine seems to have an impact. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I, this is like a single graph and everything else has been kind of worked together in concert and suddenly this single molecule is different. Yeah, so this, you're right, because I, th I would expect these to be in other things, but again, we're talking about Western blot, semi-quantitative, yeah, yeah, not yeah. the highest quote. Right. Um, but it kind of plays into what we saw previously with the phospho A and BK blot on the last, on the last figure, right. and seeing what could potentially be um, a, like, super compensatory or like, um, what's, what's, there's a word I'm thinking of, um, like an additive effect that caffeine's having on the exercise stimulus. Yeah, right. So just as a, a kind of going back, caffeine has a lot of different effects on the body, right? A ton. And one of its most potent effects is being a nervous system, a CNS um, activator. Right. It helps to increase our central drive and specifically in this context to the skeletal muscle. Right. Like people take it for performance enhancing purposes and also for um, improving work capacity. So if you're giving mice this during exercise, then there's a chance that their exercise is actually better. They're actually able to do more during this exercise than the, than the wild type. You're giving them a supplement. Like you're giving yeah. them performance enhancing supplement. So to think, so in my mind, if you're doing that, then the chance that their adaptations to that exercise are also gonna be greater as well. And considering one of the most um, important parts of, of resistance training exercise is the hypertrophy signal that follows, yeah. I would also expect that to be increased when you give them the supplement as well. So yeah, you're pretty much right. increasing, improving um, the exercise stimulus itself by giving them caffeine. It's, it has an additive effect now on the exercise stimulus. Yeah, that makes sense. Again, I, I'm, I'm, I do question the fact that you only see it in this one molecule and all the other protein synthetic machinery molecules, you don't see that effect. Um, also, the error bars are pretty large. So yep. if I actually think that's happening, I would tend to, if this is, of course, just personal opinion, I would say no. Um, but, you know, I'm, I, I can't fully say, hey, that's not the data. I, I mean, I'm assuming that is the data, but... It's just a, it's just a little wonky compared to like with the background of like all these other markers of protein yeah. synthesis that just aren't showing the same trend, um, and you you are seeing differences with the knockout condition. Uh, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess with the knockout condition of uh, LKB1, you do see a, a slightly enhanced uh, level of S6. And you do find that actually with the other with the other uh, protein machinery molecules mm -hmm. as well, the 40 BP1 and the phospho uh, S6 kinase. Um, the final thing I want to touch on is E. So I'm going to skip D. Uh, e without looking at the the Western. Here we see uh, that stimulation does increase the. This is an actual measure of protein production. So it's not the molecules that are leading to protein production. It's actual like 
bar everything else, do you see an increase in proteins? Do you see actual muscle growth, not necessarily muscle growth, but protein growth? Uh, is it being formed by this? And they can measure that by the incorporation of a particular molecule that gets incorporated to the polypeptide chain. If you're a molecular biologist, you care about that stuff. Um, and with stimulation, independent of caffeine, again, you see an increase in protein synthesis and you do see a difference with that knockout uh, at the eight hour mark. And they only did the eight hour mark in, in this situation. Do you have anything to add to that? Um, biggest thing here, this should have gone first. Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm a big fan whenever I look at papers is I really do, like the signaling stuff is cool. It's awesome. But if it doesn't lead to any differences in functional outcomes, it doesn't matter. It I really doesn't. I've said that so it many really, times. It really doesn't matter to me. So <laughs> oh my God, the puromycin, so although it's on a Western blind and semi-quantitative still, it is still a very good functional readout on how much protein is being synthesized and how that changes in response to these various treatments. So clearly what it's showing is that the stimulation is far and wide having a much greater effect or having an effect on protein accretion than anything else. Right. Independent of caffeine, stimulation alone is what's driving this effect, right? And caffeine does not seem to be inhibiting it in any way, right? So if we have that data, that's great. Then I don't really care about any of the other signaling data because at the end of the day, that all that matters is this. All that matters is what happens to functional protein synthesis following the treatments. Yep, exactly. Could not have said it any better, honestly. I've said that so many times. If the functional outcome is you see a difference, then you can start looking into the mechanisms of why. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, like, just... Who cares? Yeah, who cares? Like, yep. if you're seeing all these different changes and at the, at the very end, nothing changes, who cares? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, you're just... You're measuring nothing. Yep. You're literally measuring a bunch of things that lead to nothing. Mm -hmm. So it just doesn't matter. Because it's, it's getting caught in the weeds. That's yeah. where it really what it is. Absolutely. You're, getting, you're, you're getting caught in the weeds when the answer is up here. The answer has been here all along. If there's no change, there's no difference, I don't care about the weeds. I, yeah. care, I care nothing at all. Exactly. It's only when that changes that I care about the weeds. So, okay, so now we're going to shift our focus to figure five which is uh, our last figure, but we have one more table afterwards, which is actually gonna be pretty important. So figure five, they're looking at, this is rats. So this is what I was talking about earlier, that they've cut the tendon of particular muscles to stop the rat from being helped by those muscles. So there's a series of muscles that are going to essentially hold you upright or whatever it might be and you don't have just one muscle, so if you cut the tendon of the other muscles, then that leads to uh, that single muscle that's left over to have to take all of the load. And suddenly that increases its hypertrophic drive, its muscle growth drive dramatically. Uh, so in this situation, and of course they used water and caffeine in this situation as well. So it's not a stimulation, but it's a different form, which is nice to see. It's cool to see that they, they added this, uh, this different form of hypertrophy, which Alec went over in the methods section, the, the distinction between the, the electrical stimulation and this method for uh, 
figuring out hypertrophy. So with the plantaris, when they mention plantaris, they're talking about that particular muscle that they left alone to allow to grow over time. And uh, the muscle hypertrophy, hypertrophy meaning muscle growth, zero difference. With caffeine, no difference mm -hmm. whatsoever. Uh, Shocking. Yeah, it increased, it grew 15%, which is quite remarkable, that's awesome. Yep. But with the addition of caffeine, it did absolutely nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, not shocking at all because of all the data that we've been looking at so far. Yep. Uh, B looks at the muscle mass. Here you see a slight increase, but that's with the, compared to sham. So they've got the overload, which is in the dark gray, and then they've got the white bar, which is showing um, a sham surgery. So this is actually something I did for, for my master's. We did a sham surgery where you do the exact same surgery on the other leg, and, but you don't cut the tendons. So essentially the conditions are the exact same. It's a really beautiful model, uh, says the biased researcher. <laughs> but uh, here you see that, of course, with overload, you're going to see growth mm -hmm. because it doesn't have the assistance of the other muscles. Yep. And therefore, you're going to see increases in its weight. I mean, it's not, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. Uh, C is a little bit more interesting. I'd like to definitely get your opinion on this one. A and PK. So here you see no differences with the overload condition where they cut the, the tendons of the musculature. But for some reason with caffeine, and still non-significant, but do you see that? decrease in the, uh, the the caffeine condition in terms of AMPK phosphorylation? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, I do, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I really, mm. you're good. Okay. Yeah, I, I, it's not technically a decrease. I see what you're saying, but it's not technically. Um, no, it's not because the uh, the error bars on the the other one, the uh, sham, are pretty large. So I understand how it's not, but it's, now, just, it's a stark difference. So the only thing, I, the only thing I could say, and this is a stretch on this one. <laughs> okay. So they've done uh, several studies on. Um, chronic and what was this was just was this just a typical what was the caffeine dose on this one uh, it was physiological so it was still within that physiological range um, so they've done stuff like this before in which they give caffeine chronically to see what happens and like I mentioned caffeine's like an exercise by medic on, in ways yeah. um, so what it does is it helps to trigger a lot of the same adaptations that you make to exercise so Technically, at rest now, if you're looking at these animals, their um, energy state, their energy state is going to be much more adapted in the caffeine condition because you've pretty much put them in this exercise state on top of the overload this entire time. Yeah. So, I would expect that they'd be much more. They'd be much better off or much more adapted to rest and being able to keep fossil AMPK lower, or they're much more adapted to that energy state now um, compared to just the water control. It, there's a better way to describe it, but there's... 
So we can just say that's not significant. Yeah, we'll just go with that. We'll just yeah. go with that. We're rounding out on two hours. Yeah. So <laughs> we got to close this out soon. Yeah. Uh, D, AKT, there's a difference with just the water condition. So with overload, you see an increase in AKT uh, activation, but you don't see that with caffeine. Have any thoughts on that, why that might be? I couldn't honestly come up with anything. No, no, no. It's just a scientific mystery. Yeah. Considering, again, this is the big difference being a chronic model, so not an acute. So yeah. like you're just looking right. at these guys at rest essentially, or yeah. what their new rest is. Yeah. Uh, so no, I don't. No. No. Okay, and then five uh, E, you see four EBP one, good old four EBP one. Of course, that's going to increase with yep. uh, hypertrophy. So that's that's not too shocking. Yeah. Uh, finally, table one, which is the last thing to discuss before we jump into the conclusion. Uh, they're showing body weights, the initial body weights, then after the study, the final body weights, the body weight percentage gain, um, as well as the heart weight. I'm not too concerned about that. The fat amount, the food consumption is definitely important. And uh, yeah, that's, that's about all the things that I think are, are genuinely important. But there are some interesting findings that essentially skew the entire study yeah. <laughs> from, from here on out and uh, could be somewhat beneficial actually towards uh, the caffeine condition, um, I think, because you're seeing decreases in body weight, right? Uh, you're seeing decreases in fat mass, right? Mm -hmm. And you are seeing decreases in food consumption. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, clearly caffeine, and we know this, like caffeine has uh, not a filling effect, but it, it makes us, uh, less prone to hunger yeah. in general, hunger pangs in general. Mm -hmm. So, and then of course caffeine has a mild increase on metabolism. So that could certainly play a factor, especially with small mice yeah. um, and rats in general. So you see a, that, that overall uh, caffeine seems to have an impact in that regard, but uh, I don't see any, any reason why so just going back to that, actually, because you, you we're talking about the signaling data. Yeah. Uh, in, in the figure, at least, and I'm just going to go back just to double check, they don't mention as to when it's taken. So if you're having mice, for example, consuming more food, right, then there's a chance that you took the wild type when they just finished a meal and the caffeine group, or not the wild type, but the, the water group when they just had a meal and the caffeine group who have had a meal in, in quite some time because their hunger's been suppressed from the caffeine. So there's a re there, that then that could explain why you saw an increase in yeah. the AKT, phospho AKT, in the water group, but not in the caffeine group because maybe the water group is just eating more. So they're undergoing more of those growth stimulation periods than the, than the, um, than the caffeine group. But importantly enough, none of it really matters because again, the muscle weight, at least for the, the muscle they were, they were interested in that was overloaded, both saw a similar increase. Now, right. I think this could have been a little bit more significant if they used a stimulus that was less robust, right? So we're using pretty much a shotgun-like approach right. to hypertrophy right. in which you're going to, in which when you overload a muscle, 
you need something that is going to be really, really, really significant to kind of resist that from happening to stop any differences. Because I forgot, what were you seeing? A 15% increase? Yeah, 15%. Yeah, so you're seeing a pretty significant increase in muscle size in a very short specific, in a a very short period of time. Right. So if you were to use a little bit more of a modest approach to hypertrophy, maybe the effect of caffeine would have, would have like, you know, made its way out. It would have um, shown its head a little bit more. Yeah, right. But because again, you're using the shotgun approach, this super robust effect, um, the effect of caffeine might be washed away because it's not nearly as um, robust as the overload that they used. I see what you mean. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll it's pretty much like you have two buckets of water, right? And okay. now imagine the two buckets of water are um, like you're 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 dumping say you're dumping two buckets of water in a tub, all right? Um, in one tub um, you add nothing else, but in the other tub you add another drop of water, and that other drop of water is the caffeine. If you look at them both, they both have at the end of it the same amount of water because the initial amount that you dumped in was so high yeah. that the little bit that you could have potentially changed it with caffeine wasn't going to show at all. It wasn't going to appear because it was just not enough to overcome such a robust stimulus that is done by the overload. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Uh, Yeah, I, I think, uh, I think overall the paper shows that caffeine most likely does not have I mean, for most likely does not have a negative impact on hypertrophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also, and they actually say this in the conclusion, they're like, it might have a positive impact. And uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Um, but it seems like caffeine certainly does not have near the effect that actual stimulation does. If you stimulate the muscle, exercise, if you use some sort of uh, activation or use of that muscle. The more you use the muscle, the more it grows, yep. essentially. So if that's through electrical stimulation in the, in the kind of trying to mimic exercise, or if that's long-term, just continuous use uh, with the rats uh, cutting their tendons, then you're going to see hypertrophy. But caffeine itself is just not gonna have that much of an impact. Yes, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that's, um, you know, and it's a lot, it's a big sigh of relief for people that are obviously use caffeine yeah. to fuel work, to, you know, to help them get through workouts and things. Um, another big thing I'd just like to point out with this paper, sure. and I think it would have really added to it, is again, including the caffeine after the workout period. So after the stimulation period, you know, giving, these th- giving the animals caffeine, um, you know, with a growth stimulus, with a meal you know, what effect that has, because there are some papers to suggest that having caffeine or having, you know, coffee after workout is actually not so great. Beforehand okay. is great, afterward not so great, because you're essentially sending it these antagonistic signals. Because caffeine's a fight or flight, like you want to get going, so you want to, you know, mobilize your energy stores you. and get yeah, things yeah. moving, whereas at the end of your workout, you're consuming a meal, it's a rest and digest, you rest, you build up your glycogen, you increase muscle protein synthesis. So you're sending these antagonizing signals and you're not getting the best out of either I'd be. by doing it. Um, the other thing I just want to point, just uh, the last thing is that 
Um, I would have liked to see them talk a little bit more and distinguish because there's sure caffeine is a, is a widely used supplement, but the vehicle in which it's given to people matters. So most of the time when we talk about caffeine, it's in the form of coffee, right? Mm -hmm. for, for typical, yeah. you know, people. Um, the reason it's mostly widely consumed is because it's, it's, it's such a high concentration in coffee. But coffee has so many other bioactive compounds that might actually be beneficial for muscle hypertrophy. And they actually have done, have, they've done mouse studies. They've given mice, they've, they've treated their, or they've given them water with a certain percentage of coffee. And they've actually found that has, it has a uh, beneficial effect on muscle growth and signaling. Hmm. So I think that also plays into it too, is the context. So what else is the caffeine given with? Because very few people just start taking caffeine pills and caffeine powders. Um, and that's their only source of caffeine. It comes from other things as well, right, and it's right. in other vehicles. And I think that would have been nice to talk about in this paper. Maybe not cover it, but you know, nice to talk about and distinguish how this is different than real life situation. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's true. Uh, I'd actually be interested in uh, reading a few of those papers if you have them on hand, um, or if you can find them. I'd be that. I, I mean, I guess it's not a foreign idea for me to think that coffee has a positive impact. Yeah. Uh, I think we all know that in different regards, but uh, yeah, no doubt, like the vehicle for sure matters. Uh, if that's in like a pre-workout where you, you kind of essentially rob a lot of that uh, beneficial product, whatever's inside of coffee, which I'm not even familiar with all the different things, compounds that are in coffee, but uh, robbing it of those compounds could certainly have an impact because here they're just giving straight caffeine. Mm -hmm. They're not... They're not adding anything else to, to, to the situation. Yeah. Okay, well, that's it. That's what we've got for you. Uh, <laughs> the Instagram feed has already died again. Uh, <laughs> it's been two hours. Man, oh man. Uh, yeah, quite, quite something. There's a lot of science in here. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think we, we came to some solid conclusions no doubt about that so uh with that thanks for stopping by for those of you that were on live and thanks to alec for uh d taking the time to actually read these papers and put some real thought into them uh he definitely contributed several different aspects to, to each paper so i'm definitely thankful to to him for for uh, making the time to to talk about it and uh until next time We'll have to, I don't I have no idea how long this is going to take to edit. <laughs> it's going to take forever. But uh, until, the, uh, until next time, guys, have a good one. See ya.